chapter 11, uh, starting at verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. It truly is a privilege to be with you this evening. Thank you, Neil, for the interview and guiding that along. When I received the email from Neil, we chatted and I saw the text. I thought, wow, it's quite quite lovely on a Sunday evening to denounce woes upon all these towns. But it is truly a privilege to minister God's word this evening. And, and as we consider the passage, I believe it will inspire us this evening. I've just entitled my message this evening, The Call to Repentance. And as we enter this time of year, and many churches will focus on the Gospels, as we have done in Marlow, we have been preaching through the Gospel of John, the first ten chapters, and in the new year, we'll focus on Haggai, as we mentioned, but also this time we're focusing on messages leading up to Christmas. But as we thoughtfully consider the Gospels, and as we read through them, even in our own personal quiet time, during this time of year, what's so beautiful about the Gospels as we really thoughtfully read through them is that the pages of Scripture give us a very clear picture. A clear picture starts emerging to us. And that is the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. We start seeing the Scriptures unfolding who Christ truly is. And not the picture that the world presents. And the world presents a picture of Jesus as just some religious figure or another religious leader. But the biblical picture is very important. The biblical revelation of who Jesus Christ truly is. He is our God. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And He is our King. That is the picture that comes to us when we read the passages of scriptures. As we look at these verses, it shows us something very specific about God. I think many people have an idea of who God is, and they also have an idea of Jesus. And unfortunately, within the church, our, our picture is sometimes molded and shaped by the world. And we have this picture of Jesus, only of that who, who loved and the one who maybe just walked around and just hugged everyone and always had just nice things to say. Maybe, you know, had his long hair with his beard and he spoke very coolly, like just love. And he was this guru type of character. But that's not who Jesus Christ is. Neither is that his earthly ministry. 
Because what we see in the scriptures, and especially in these five verses, is the fact that yes, God is love. Yes, God is mercy. Yes, God is grace. But he's also judgment and righteousness. And unless we have judgment and righteousness, we cannot have love, grace, and mercy. And that is why when we read these verses, to many people it might seem difficult at first to read about Jesus speaking out against these towns and villages, saying we're better for those other cities in the Old Testament than for them. And that is why we need to see the full picture from the book of Genesis to Revelation of who God truly is. I believe the Bible is a progressive revelation. As we read scripture, I think it's very clear. It's easy for us because we have the complete word of God. And as it has been said, hindsight is always twenty twenty. So we have... Genesis to Revelation, it's easy for us to look back at biblical history and question the disciples. How did they not know? How did they not see? Why did they not understand what Jesus was saying? It's because they had that specific information at that time. But as we see the scriptures unfold, things become a lot clearer. Even post Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, he spent 40 days with the disciples and he opened the scriptures to them. So we have the privilege every single day of holding the scriptures in our hands and seeing how God has revealed his word progressively. At certain times, there was certain light given to people. But what is very clear from Genesis Right through to Revelation, and specifically Genesis chapter 3, we have the first clear gospel message. From the book of Genesis to Revelation, we see the gospel unfolded to us very, very clearly. And in Genesis chapter 3, of course, we have that very beautiful passage, an important passage. The fact that the serpent, yes, will bruise his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. But as the scriptures unfold, we see that picture. And as we read these verses tonight, we see Jesus Christ speaking very plainly, very directly about judgment. And that's important. Because the fact that he holds Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum accountable means that they were given light. They were given information. They saw things. So when we look at these verses, we need to see it in context this evening. There's a greater context, and this was very important. In reading these, these verses, and then looking back at Matthew chapter 10, and looking at Matthew chapter 11, and I know that you have considered many of those passages, there's a very clear picture that these five verses cannot be taken in isolation. Because everything that Jesus is saying to these towns start in Matthew chapter 10. And that is very, very clear. As we look at Matthew chapter 10, what do we see? We see before even the great commission of Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we see a commission given to the disciples. And that is to go out, not to go to the Gentiles, not to go to the Samaritans, but only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, you preach the message, you preach the gospel, You preach repentance, and with that, you heal the sick. 
and you perform signs and wonders. So there's a very specific commission and message given to the disciples to go out with. And as they go out and share this message, not sharing themselves, they are sharing and representing the Lord Jesus Christ. As you read those passages from verse 14 to 15, it speaks about people receiving towns and even homes, receiving the disciples in. If they don't want to receive you, you shake the dust off your feet and you move on. So there's a very clear dynamic of how people respond, not just to the Lord Jesus, but how they respond to his followers. It will be an indication of where they're at and how God will deal with them. So in Matthew chapter 10, we see the commission given to the disciples. We see them representing Christ. And we even see the towns mentioned already. We see already that, the, that things are being spoken of, of how these towns receive the disciples and how they rejected them. We see the same in Luke chapter 10 as well. You see the same construct. So we see in Matthew chapter 10 that a commission has already been given to go out and share the message. As we look at Matthew chapter 11, one of my favorite, favorite passages in considering our Lord Jesus and what we share. When John the Baptist is in prison and he's becoming concerned, so think about it, Jesus said there's none greater than John the Baptist and he himself became concerned. So it's okay if we're concerned. But he was concerned being in prison, thinking to himself, when Jesus has come, he's the king, the kingdom is at hand, why am I in prison? And he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him if he is the Messiah or should they wait for another. And Jesus says to the disciples of John to go back to John and tell John what you have seen. And you have seen the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lame walk, and also the poor receiving the gospel. So we have a very clear picture before we even get to Matthew 11 verse 20 to 24 what we have is we have the gospel being shared and not just being shared by word but being shared in power by the followers of Christ you have Jesus Christ saying to John the Baptist that you have seen these things these things have happened there was a very clear atmosphere of Jesus Christ performing miracles that were beyond a shadow of a doubt all these miracles confirmed the fact that he was the Messiah and it's on the back of this that he says these words to Chorazin, to Bethsaida, and to Capernaum in Galilee. Jesus himself settled in Capernaum after being chased out of Nazareth. This is not just passages. These passages can't be taken in isolation and just think that Jesus just had a difficult day and didn't like these towns. There was light. There was preaching. There was revelation. There was truth. There were miracles. It was given to these towns. So what Jesus taught at times might have been slightly obscure. What Jesus taught might have been slightly hidden, especially in speaking in parables. Some people didn't understand the full picture. You had to explain them. Yes. 
But Jesus' miracles and also his clear statements were not obscure. He wasn't obscure when he made the blind see, when he went lame walk. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, there were no, there couldn't be objections because it happened. So all the people around, especially as the passage says, in Chorizo and Bethsaida and of course Capernaum, most of the miracles had happened. That they could see all of these miracles, that was a clear testimony. And also the statements, and there are two important passages, as we read in in Matthew 11, and as you've considered that previously as we look at John the Baptist, what is important is the fact that Jesus said to the followers, go tell John the Baptist what you have seen. And where does that come from? It comes from Isaiah chapter 35. So as we consider Isaiah chapter 35, and please read that, it says that when the Messiah comes, that the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the mute will speak, and the lame will walk, and the poor will have the gospel preached to them. That's Isaiah 35 verse 5 to, to 7. So it was a clear statement that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be because the Old Testament predicted that these things will happen. That is why Jesus performed the specific miracles he did. So that could not be debated. Even the Pharisees who did not believe in him could not debate the fact that a blind man can see and a lame man can walk. And in the same way, the statement Jesus makes in John chapter 8 cannot be disputed. It's not a parable. So when Jesus says in John chapter 8, from verse 58 to 59, when he says, before Abraham was, I am, they picked up stones to stone him. They didn't debate or question what he was saying. They knew exactly what he was saying. So his miracles and his very statements proved that he is who he claimed to be. Because Jesus said, I am, which means I am self-existent. I am Jehovah. So none of these towns, these three towns mentioned, could ever question or could ever doubt what they have seen and what they have heard. They were without excuse. And that is why as we consider these verses, I think it's, it's, it's really important and interesting to see why Jesus says what he says in Matthew chapter 11. So first and foremost, as we consider the passage, before we look at the application this evening, what we see is that Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, as I mentioned, was in Galilee. So it was up north. So I was thinking, what could be a connective thought to us? And I know it's bigger areas, but it's pretty much like Newcastle, Middlesbrough, and Sunderland. It's close. It's that area. Okay, I know with football it becomes a bit of a difficult discussion, of course. But it's, it's, it's one area and these, these towns are connected. Of course, near the Sea of Galilee. So we see that these are mentioned, but throughout scripture, these three areas, because Jesus settled there, yes, but Jesus chose those three towns and areas to perform most of his miracles. So that is why the statement that he's making is so direct and so, in our minds, judgmental. But it's because there was so much backstory. 
And what we see with Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, and then Tyre, and Sidon, and Sodom, is we see a very contrasting picture when we look at the passage. Because what we see is we see religious cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum were religious cities. And then Jesus contrasts that with the most pagan cities of Tyre. The city of Tyre has got such a wonderful story, we don't have time to consider it, but the passages are there of the prophecies against Tyre and its arrogance. Alexander the Great actually conquered Tyre because they mocked him. And you don't mock Alexander the Great, he takes it very personally. It's a very interesting story historically. But the city of Tyre was a very pagan city. They worshipped Baal. And then you got Sidon. And why is Sidon such an important, infamous city? Well, there are two names you never give your, your baby. Never, never. The first one is Judas. It's a bit awkward. And the second one is, if it's a girl, Jezebel. It just it becomes infamous, doesn't it? Jezebel was born in Sidon. So it's quite infamous. So you have Tyre, you have Sidon, and then of course, the poster child for sin, which is Sodom. And Jesus contrasts these two pictures of religious people that think they are somewhere, and those that are perceived and historically and biblically are very clearly pagan with Canaanite influence, Baal influence, they were just absolute pagan cities. But as we look at the biblical record, both sets received prophecy, received witness, received light. As we look at the the very specific cities of um, Sidon, Of course, Jezebel being born there, we know what Jezebel went through with Elijah. She could not debate, because she was there when fire rained down from heaven and consumed an altar. I believe the best and most important story when people ask about Revelation is the story of Rahab. Just before the children of Israel came in to Jericho, And because they were going to destroy these people that worship Baal. What was said to the children of Israel by Rahab? She said to them, we have heard what your God has done. So Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, having Lot and having the witness that everyone knew about, they were without excuse. And the same way the city of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and also Capernaum, they were without excuse. So the scene is set of two contrasting places, or groups of places, with receiving a witness and how they responded. So there are three areas that I want to focus on as we apply this this evening. What we have to acknowledge this evening in this passage is God's revelation. That Jesus Christ holds these three cities accountable because it has received revelation. 
And as we spoke about in our prayer time about our nation, our nation is without excuse because it has received revelation. God's word is there. So God has revealed himself. And we need to respond. But the cities of Sidon and Tyre and also of Sodom received revelation. It it did. There was revelation to them. And in the same way, the cities of Bethsaida, of Chorazin, also of Capernaum, had the greatest revelation, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the key issue this evening as we consider this is God's revelation. God has revealed himself. He always leaves a witness But why Jesus Christ is so specific about these towns is because it is not just any witness. It's not a prophet. It wasn't um, just a disciple. It was Jesus himself who settled there, the fullness of the revelation. The scriptures as a whole speak of revelation to us. But there is no greater revelation than the Lord Jesus Christ. And he settled in these cities. So they are without excuse. And I cannot but, as we read this passage, and as we reflect upon these words again, I just want us to, to listen very carefully. Then Jesus began to denounce these cities. He's not speaking about individuals. He's speaking about a city. It's collective. It's not one or two people that he went to their homes and announced them in their homes. Jesus looked at these cities and these towns collectively. In which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. So there's a clear revelation. Jesus performs miracles... And then he denounces them. So they're without excuse. So I cannot personally shy away from the fact that there is a responsibility when revelation is given. So we see God's revelation. That's to us this evening. Because the danger for us as Christians is as in the book of Revelation, we could lose our first love. We receive revelation. That moment... And if you can remember that time, I trust you can, when you received Christ and he saved you. That moment, that revelation, we mustn't forget that. Because sometimes our love can grow cold. And Jesus Christ speaks very directly to these cities because they rejected him. They weren't interested. But so he's speaking to us tonight to be very focused on the revelation that he has given in his son, the Lord Jesus. The revelation he gave to us that moment when we came to know Christ. But the revelation that we have every single day that we hold in our hands. The word of God. So we see God's revelation, but we also see the need for repentance. And there is a call. There is a call to repentance. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. In that passage it says, Jesus then went out and preached, repent. For the kingdom 
of heaven is at hand. So Jesus has that call. There is a call. John the Baptist preached the message of repentance. Jesus preached the message of repentance. His disciples preached the message of repentance. We know that Peter preached the message of repentance in Acts chapter 2. And the Christian church today wants to preach a message of friendship. So the longer we're friends with people, the more they become Christian. So what we need to do is just try and be friends with people. So the more that we spend time with them, the more magically they will just look at our lives and then want to become Christians because we're such nice people. That's sort of gospel 101. It's just be friends with people, then magically, via osmosis, that they will just become Christians. And the church hopes that something's going to happen. That is not the evangelism model of the Bible. What is the evangelism model of the Bible? It's a message of repentance. The gospel is a message of repentance. You're a sinner and in need of a savior. You can't sidestep that. And with me working at Marks and Spencer's, it's always fun. Because I look like everyone else in my uniform, but everyone knows I'm not like them because they call me a priest and then a vicar, and then I don't know what else they call me. Um, so one girl comes up to me, you're like that priest guy, aren't you? Yes, I'm the priest guy. But as I'm confronted with the fact that people ask questions, what is my gospel pitch? And there's a young girl that came and asked me, you know, what's this whole Christian thing? And I said to her that I'm a Christian and I go to church because I'm broken. And because I'm broken, I'm in desperate need of God. That is the gospel. The gospel is not that I go to church because church is nice and it makes me a better person. And no matter where we go as Christians, the need for repentance is there. The need for repentance for us personally is there, yes. But the gospel is based on the fact that we are broken and in need of a savior. And the principle needs to be there that we need to acknowledge our shortcomings and we need to repent of our failures and receive Christ. That is the gospel principle. And that's exactly what Jesus taught. So I don't always understand how we are going to share the gospel if we're not willing to cross that pain threshold of saying to someone that you and I are sinners. And it's awkward. It's difficult. But it's the message that Jesus preached. There is a call and there is a need for repentance. And with repentance comes restoration. And what Jesus was saying very clearly about Chorazin, Bethsaida, and also about Capernaum is the fact that there will be no restoration because it says, he says about Capernaum, they'll be brought down to Hades or hell. They will go down in flames to the lower parts. And he speaks about that collectively. Now, yes, he was most probably speaking of that in a sort of, um, a figure of speech and the fact that the whole town is just going to collapse and not physically be destroyed like Tyre, which was physically destroyed. But there is a perspective there of no restoration. And repentance is needed because with repentance comes restoration. And Chorazin, Bethsaida, and also Capernaum, they saw 
They heard, but they never repented. They did not believe. And I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer in repentance as being absolutely vital. But I'm not a firm believer in the fact that we need to see tears for someone to be repentant. I know many a person who can cry a long crocodile tear when they get caught. Have you met those people? They always say sorry once you've caught them in the fridge eating the cheesecake. I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. This is terrible, I know. And then they cry. Tears aren't always a sign of repentance. What is a sign of repentance? A contrite heart and a change. With repentance comes change. So I believe that repentance and faith is connected. That Romans 10.9, if we confess the Lord Jesus with our mouth and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That confession of faith is part of repentance and is needed. And that's the call. So we have God's revelation that was given to these these cities and towns, but they didn't repent because they never understood the reality of redemption. Because there's a reality of redemption. Because despite man's rejection, so despite the town, despite Chorizon rejecting, and despite Bethsaida rejecting and Capernaum rejecting as a collective, there were individuals in those towns who understood who Jesus Christ is. And therefore, there is still a reality of redemption. Although collectively they were spoken of, individually there were people that came to faith. And despite man's rejection, God's mercy is there. And that's what we praise him for every single day. That he gives us revelation. There is a call to repent, but there is a reality of redemption. And God gave those cities... As he gave to Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, he gave them everything that they need to repent. But Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum had Christ. Christ was in their midst. And God had given those cities everything that they need, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't need more than that, do we? And I just, it is so real when we look back at, at Luke chapter 16 and Jesus speaking of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man saying, please just send someone back to my brothers and tell them. And Abraham says, they have Moses and they have the prophets. Even if someone rises from the dead, they will not believe. All we need is Christ. We don't need more. People don't need to see more. They don't need to hear more. They don't need to have some special revelation. Jesus Christ is the fullness that everyone needs. All they needed to do, those three places, all they needed to do was to look and see. And the book of Hebrews chapter 2 speaks to us of what shall happen to us if we neglect such a great salvation. 
what happened to Chorazin and what happened to Bethsaida, what happened to Capernaum, Jesus spoke out judgment and denounced them because they neglected the great salvation. And to us in the church, for those outside the church, we have a great responsibility. And that is not to neglect the salvation that is given. Even for those outside the church, they will be held accountable. As we will be held accountable. Because you have someone sitting in North Korea, and all they have is someone that translated John 3.16 to them. And they might be in some room there, being very concerned that they're being watched. And they read John 3.16, maybe in their own language. It's all they have. And they read those beautiful words. You and I, as Christians here this evening, we have the full revelation. We have the full light of Scripture. And we can see the reality of redemption. We cannot neglect such a great salvation. As we conclude, we see two places, two specific groups. We see Horizon, Bethsaida, and we see Capernaum. And what they are, are these religious cities. And what you see is on the other side, Tyre, Sidon, and of course Sodom. And what we see is a very sad picture because we see Tyre and Sidon and Sodom as wicked places, evil places. I don't think we would want to stroll around there on a Sunday evening. We see wicked places. And when we look at Bethsaida, you look at uh, Chorazin, you look at uh, Capernaum, what we see are religious places, but they are indifferent. So you have wicked and you have indifferent. And Jesus Christ speaks out judgment far greater to indifference than just sin and wickedness. And that is why I need to share this with you in conclusion. As we look at Luke chapter 18, if you could turn there with me. As important as every passage of Scripture is, and there's some beautiful, beautiful passages, especially as we focus on the redemption, as we focus on the gospel, I don't know if there's a clearer gospel picture than Luke chapter 18. I read from verse 9. So Luke chapter 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. These three cities became indifferent and exalted themselves above Christ, and they'll be brought down to hell. I trust this evening, as we consider these verses, that we will humble ourselves, receive the revelation, heed the call of repentance, and truly appreciate the reality of redemption. Let us pray. Our eternal Heavenly Father, we approach your throne of grace this evening as we thank you, as we praise you for your goodness. We acknowledge this evening that we sin, we fall short, Lord. But thank you that you are mindful of us. Thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. And thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we are reminded once again this evening as we consider these passages that there is a message that goes out. There's revelation that is given in your sovereign plan. And there is a call to respond in repentance. And thank you, Lord, that we were able to respond. Thank you, Lord, for being kind to us and showing us mercy. And we pray, Lord, that that same mercy that was extended to us is the same mercy that we will extend to others, that we will not become high-minded or become those who think that we are better, but we will be reminded of the revelation given to us that brought us to repentance. And there is a call to repentance, Lord, every single day, that as Christians we will live our lives knowing that we also fall short, as everyone else does, that the big issue is not sin. You can deal with sin, but what is difficult to deal with is indifference and arrogance. And Corizon, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, yes, they weren't as evil as Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom, but they were indifferent, they were arrogant, and they did not receive you. And Lord, help us to live out the wonderful message of the fact that God gave his life for sinners. And may we echo those words of Paul the Apostle that you gave your life for sinners and we are chief. Thank you, Lord, for the hope we have. Thank you for the hope of the gospel that we ourselves know that we were sinners saved and so that message we carry out will save sinners. Thank you that we don't have to save perfect people, but that we are here to share the message with those who are fallen. And just encourage us, Lord, this evening. Thank you so much for this church. Thank you for the gospel witness and gospel message, not just to this area, but far wider. And Lord, may you just be with the fellowship, that as a fellowship, the gospel will be central in all things. As we just commit ourselves to you tonight, Lord, we thank and praise you for your goodness. In your wonderful name we pray, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.